Harp on Sports with Seth Harp. You know what time it is. Three, two, one. Let's do this. Go, bartenders. Go, food needs refill. Harp on Sports, the bar, podcast, media, audio, and radio network. What do we have in store for you on this edition of the program? Well, three different topics, as always, focusing on three somewhat different things. First one up, a little Arch Achievements. Archie Manning, the most anticipated college football commitment since, well, and ever. We've got a couple that may be in the same solar system, but the expectations for Arch Manning now that he's committed to Texas, what are they? What should they be? How does he live up to this hype? So we're going to look at that. A little NBA next for you, the NBA draft come and gone. And it got me thinking when you're seeing teams and cities and check marks, I started thinking to myself, if I were a prolific athlete, would I want to play there? Does that city bring me anything? And to me, the NBA needs to add two expansion teams to these two cities and start thinking about some movement elsewhere. So we're going to look at that as well. And we're going to wrap with Justin Verlander's volume. Justin Verlander getting ready to go up against the Yankees Friday night here. And looking for his ninth win of the year, which would make him the wins leader in the National League. And it would put him at what in his career? It would put him where? It put him at 236 in his career, 235 in his career. Well, as he starts to try to trek down 300, is that possible where he is? So I'm going to look at that. The, maybe the last chance that baseball has as a 300-game winner is Justin Verlander. Remember, Harp on Sports, the bar, podcast, media, audio, radio network. Follow, share, like, subscribe at Harp on Sports Twitter, at Harp on Sports Instagram. Of course, Harp on Sports, the bar, available for you via the auditory route. Where? Pretty easy stuff at the end of the day. Harp on Sports, available for you on Spotify, Buzzsprout, and Apple Podcasts. Harp on Sports, the YouTube channel. Harp on Sports, the Facebook page. And of course, harponsports.com, where we have our newest article up, as I <laughs> choke for apparently no reason. Uh, maybe need some water. Maybe a little sip of my, my fun enough. Uh, where is it going? Oh, harponsports.com. Uh, the latest article up, our most recent article, a little College World Series Wanderlust, why the College World Series needs to move out of Omaha. You can check that out at harponsports.com. All right. Arch Manning. Arch Manning committing to Texas. I get it. Peyton blazed his own path in Knoxville, right? Archie, Grandpa, did it at Ole Miss. Eli chose to do it at Ole Miss. And if you're Arch Manning, you look around and go, I really don't want to follow my uncle. Expectations at Tennessee. I I guess I go there and deliver him, but I'll always be compared to him. I go to Alabama. Okay. I go to Clemson. Okay. I just kind of get lost in the shuffle a little bit. I go to Georgia. I, I can make some impact there a little bit. May win the title. I go to Texas and win a national championship. I'm immortalized. Now, he has to compare to Vince Young, I guess, a little bit. So the expectations are going to be high when it comes to Vince Young at Texas. Um, To me, you know, there's other places he could have gone. But with what Steve Sarkeesian does with his offense, I get it. I understand why Arch Manning chose Texas. I do. Uh, You know, you're looking around the college football landscape. Where could he have gone and maybe blazed a new trail when you have an offensive-minded guy? That The place that he could have gone Southern Cal, but he's a Southern guy. I I get Texas works. It works. Now, 
you have the most prolific, highest bumper crop of high school football players in the nation at Texas. Will this help Steve Sarkeesian? Of course it will. Of course it will. Now the question is, Arch Manning expectations. What are they? I was looking back and thinking about college football recruiting and trying to find guys that were even close to this on the hype scale, even close to this. And I can come up with three, maybe, maybe. Jadavian Clowney, when he committed to South Carolina, a lot of profile there. Not as much as Marshawn Lattimore when he committed to South Carolina. Steve Spurrier was lucky to get back-to-back big stars. That's why Steve Spurrier had, what, 410 win seasons at South Carolina there. Not going to happen anytime soon, is it? So those two were at the top. The other guy that was really, really at the top, never really lived up to the hype, was Jimmy Clausen at Notre Dame. When you show up National Signing Day with a tuxedo, and in a limo, you're raising the bar pretty high here. There's other guys that have been big guys. Oh, Tebow was a big guy. Trevor Lawrence was a big guy in terms of recruitment. I guess Eric Dickerson back in the day. You could go back to Eric Dickerson in the early 80s and what he meant to SMU. I, I, Yeah, but oh boy, in the modern era, there's nobody close to Arch Manning. People are talking about Arch Manning when he's a freshman in high school. I wonder why these guys get these big egos. Gee, I wonder. A 14-year-old all over the cover of all sorts of websites and publications. That's why. But this dude's, this kid's kept a cool head. He's still got a senior season coming up in football, right? So committing to Texas, I get it. Expectations, what are they? How does he live up to the hype? Look, if he goes to Texas and is the number one pick in four years or whatever it may be, has he lived up to the hype then? No. Think about that. You'd be the number one draft pick coming out of the University of Texas. Hook them horns. And you will have not lived up to the hype at Texas. The anticipation. One or the other. And these are ridiculous standards, but this is what, not he, this is what you, and I guess a little bit me by doing this, have put on him. Expectations, what are they now? To me, Heisman or national championship. If Arch Manning wins the Heisman or a national title, it's done. He wins both, nailed it. He wins either or, pretty much got it done. Now you're going to hear people say he's got to win two Heismans or win two national championships. Come on, it's just, it's absurd. Look at John Elway's career before he finally won a Super Bowl. That second one, okay, but did he really need it? In college football where you're expected to stay three years, you know, if he has Andrew Luck's type of career at Stanford, and that's going to be the measuring stick, right? If I told you today at Texas, you know what? Arch Manning's going to have Andrew Luck's career at Stanford. Not going to win the Heisman, not going to win a national championship, but he will be the number one overall pick in three years, and he's going to be a star. That'd be good enough for Texas fans? No. They're thinking national championship, Heisman trophy. I get it. It will have been what? If he does somehow find a way to win, it'll be over 25 years since their last Heisman winner in Ricky Williams. Look, I get it. I understand it. But there's where we are with arch achievements. Heisman National Championship. One of those two. If he wins them both, the debate's over. If Let's say he wins a Heisman but not a National Championship. People will ask, hey, what was it a success? And you may get, well, individually, yes, but he could have won the Heisman anywhere. If he wins a championship at Texas, was it worth it? See, there's always somebody that can come along and put up gaudy statistics or you never know. You never know who's going to come along and have a miracle season. You know, Texas could win the national championship. Arch Manning couldn't win or may not win the Heisman. 
And you'll look at it. I mean, we've seen the situations in the past, right, where somebody has an amazing national championship game, wins it like Vince Young. Arch Manning could have a Vince Young type of season, doesn't win the Heisman, but wins the national championship. So, yeah, I get it. But Arch achievements, think about where we are, what he has to do to live up to the hype that we've placed on him. Switching gears, NBA draft, rearview mirror. And it's one of these things because I am not, I'll admit it, I am not, let me take a step back here. I recognize a ton of guys now. I say, oh, yeah, okay, okay, okay. And I consider myself a decent NBA fan, good NBA fan. I like the NBA fan more than nine, or NBA more than 90, 95% of the people I talk to. And watching guys enter the draft, I'm like, oh, Kentucky, uh, Auburn, oh, okay, okay. The G League has helped with that. Developmental leagues have helped with that. But the NBA draft, to me, this year, for the first time in a long time, wasn't a guessing game. Now, what is it like it was 30 years ago? Is it like when Tim Duncan went to the Spurs out of Wake Forest? No, it's not. Is it like when Shaq and, you know, you had the Chris Webber, Anthony Hardaway deal 30 years ago? No, but those days are done. If you had guys that were in school for three or four years, it'd be a little bit different, but they're not. So here's where we are. But watching, I'm like, oh, stud. Oh, stud. Oh, he's going to be good. I get it. But that's not the purpose of this. Purpose of this is a well-rounded NBA. And in watching this, I'm thinking to myself, do you really want to go there and play? I mean, I went through and looked at the the value of the 32 teams in the NBA. The Lakers and the Knicks are at the top. Golden State's right there, the Celtics, in terms of the value. Those are the holy grails, right? But then you look around the rest of the league. The least valuable franchise in the NBA is anybody? Anybody? It's Memphis. Second least valuable franchise in the NBA? Who? It's the Timberwolves. So I'm sitting here thinking... Wait a second here. The NBA is all about glitz and glamour and showcases. How on earth isn't there an NBA team in Vegas? So NBA next, NBA next step to me, the NBA needs to find a way to figure out how to get a team in Vegas. And then in Seattle, are you kidding me? How we've gone 15 years without a team in Seattle. I started thinking about this. The Cleveland Browns moved away from Cleveland in what? The mid nineties. And went to Baltimore. By the end of the decade, the Browns had a team. The Houston Oilers moved away and went to Tennessee. Went to Memphis, then Nashville, right? When did they do that? They did that in the mid-90s, mid to late 90s. The time span between when the Oilers left Houston and ended up in Nashville and the Texans began was less than six years. The Browns move away from Cleveland within six years. Within five years, they have an NFL team. The Sonics move away from Seattle. It's been 15 years, 14 years. Come on. The Rams leave L.A. in what? 95? 96? 95. Is it 95? Yeah. And then they have a team by when? 18 years later? I mean, the NFL in L.A., we're Seattle not having an NBA team is approaching NFL football to L.A. type of stature. Got to get that figured out. So to me, what's next for the NBA? Two expansion teams. Come on, can we get a team in Vegas and a team in Seattle? And don't tell me the league can't support it. The NBA, here's the truth. The NBA is more popular from 12 to 20-year-olds than the NFL. So you have a whole group. For the first generation in 30 years, the NBA is not the most popular sport. Or the NFL is not the most popular sport. The NBA is. And the NBA has never been the most popular sport amongst 12 to 20-year-olds ever. It is now. So here, NBA, go. 
go. Now, look, maybe they're waiting for those 20 to 12 to 20 year olds to be 18 to 30 year olds, more buying power. Maybe, but come on, Vegas and Seattle need an NBA team bad. And, you know, this is where the owners at the top look around and go, look, you're not doing anything for me financially, smaller teams. But then again, those teams at the top look around and go, well, those are the teams that we can rake over the coals via trades every year. Right? Do the Lakers win two titles after Shaq left without being able to rake Memphis over the coals for Paul Gasol? Do they get Paul Gasol without being able to rank Memphis over the coals? I don't know. See? There's somebody you got to fleece. The Lakers don't win a title with LeBron without being able to take advantage of the Pelicans. So, I, again, I look at the franchises that are the least valuable in the NBA. The three at the bottom are who? I mentioned Memphis. I mentioned Minnesota, and, I, and my fault, New Orleans. New Orleans, those are three bottom. So if you add, but when it, Seth, if you add expansion teams to Seattle and Vegas, well then, you know, New Orleans and... Memphis and Minnesota will still drag down the league. No, you've got other cities in here. I wrote other cities that they could go to. Kansas City, Cincinnati, St. Louis, and Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's a three-sport town, right? Hockey, baseball, football. But Pittsburgh can't support an NBA team. Kansas City can't. St. Louis can't. They love the Blues and they love the Cardinals. Especially cities that don't have, like St. Louis, to me, stands out because they don't have an NFL team. And then you have all sorts of cities that are growing across the country that don't have an NBA team that you can move one to. But Vegas, Seattle, and then, <laughs> look, well, what if you need to move them? Well, then you need to move them. You know, we're talking about Sacramento as well. I'm building new stuff, though. So, again, I just look at the glitz and the glamour of the NBA and realize, now you, Seattle's not glitzy and glamour. No, but to me, Seattle is the equivalent. It may not be the same as what the Browns are to football, but, you know, the fact that they got that team taken away, they may, may be more so of what, professional football was to Baltimore is what the NBA is to Seattle. Come on, Vegas, Seattle, get this done. And then the NBA gets what to 32 teams. We're good. Baseball's at 30. The NFL's at 32. You know, we talk, no, no, no need to expand. If there's one sport that can expand, it's the NBA. Okay. Now to a little Verlander volume. Justin Verlander is going for his ninth win of the season Friday night against the Yankees. Justin Verlander's on pace for a 20 win season. Where are we going with this? Justin Verlander may be the last person, the last player that's got a legitimate crack at 300 wins. And he, at the age of 39, he's having a remarkable year. Probably going to start the all-star game for the American League if he keeps this up. So he's a Hall of Famer. That's done. But at 236 wins right now, Justin Verlander is 236 and 115. <coughs> Excuse me. He's 236 and 115. So if he keeps up this pace at the end of this year, he's going to be what? 246 wins. He's going to be right there, isn't he? Justin Verlander is going to be right around 246 wins. If he keeps this campaign up, why is that significant? Because he's going to turn 40 at the end of the year. So at the end of this year, if Justin Verlander continues the pace that he's on right now, he's actually on pace for like 23 wins, but I'm just going to put it at 20. Justin Verlander is going to sit there at the end of the year with 246 wins and around, what did I, I do the math here on this? 246 wins and about 137 losses. So it'll be 54, he'll need 54 wins after the age of 40. Is it possible? Yeah, Randy Johnson did that. If Justin Verlander averages 18 wins a year at the age of 40, 41, 42, the end of the, is, is right at the end of his 42nd year on this earth, he'll get to 300. 
Now, he has to stay in a city like Houston. He can go out to the Dodgers and get it. You need to be on one of those teams that's perennially in the playoffs, right? Could sneak into St. Louis and do it. But the Dodgers and the Astros, those teams are going to win 90 games. They're just loaded. As long as Altuve and that core is there, they're, they are. So to me, the Astros have three or four years left of this to get this done. Yeah, you can get there with that. So Justin Verlander, the last 300-game winner in baseball, maybe. A little Verlander volume. Well, what about Scherzer's stance? Max Scherzer's getting ready to come off the DL, right? Max Scherzer is 37 years old. He turns 38 next month. Max Scherzer has 195 wins, 98 losses. So Max Scherzer gets hurt. He was, you know, stuck in Washington, didn't perennially not always up there, not, not always in contention. Now he's with the Mets who are in contention. He went there and, you know, that's the staple and cement his legacy a little bit. I get it. I get it. He goes to the Mets and wins a World Series. He's immortalized. I get it. Max Scherzer, at the end of this year, should have around 200. Look, if he wins 10 more games this year, he can stay healthy. Should have around 205 wins at the age of 38. What does that mean? Well, that means when he's in Verlander's shoes, he'll have about 200. I, I did the math on this. The average injury that Max Scherzer has He's going to end up at about 236 wins. He's going to be about 240 wins when he turns 40. So he'll need 60 wins after the age of 40 to get there to 300. And the guy that would have the best shot, but the injuries are just too much for him, is Clayton Kershaw. <laughs> Clayton Kershaw, could he win 20 games again? Yeah, if he won 20 games in a season again, he'd catapult right back up there to the discussion. But Clayton Kershaw sits there with 189 wins, and he's 34 years old. So if Clayton Kershaw would average 15 wins a year up until his 40th birthday, he's 34. If Clayton Kershaw would average 15 wins a season up until his 40th birthday, he'd be where? He'd be at 279 when he hits 40. Think about that one. The one that'd have the best shot if he were healthy would be Clayton Kershaw. But here's the thing about Clayton Kershaw. He's on the team that gives him the best chance to get to 300. Are the Dodgers still going to fork out $20 million a year for a guy that plays half the season and if he'd leave there where could he go to get to that number look if Clayton Kershaw it doesn't work in LA where he should go is the Yankees Willie I don't know I don't see him playing that long I don't so as Verlander goes up against the Yankees big stage Friday night Verlander's volume with a win there start putting in your math in in your head you're gonna turn 40 Justin Verlander may be the last guy that legitimately has a shot to get to 300 wins and we've had gaps like this before. I think, was it, oh man, it was between, was it between Tommy Seaver that got to 300? Tom, I think we had a 20-year stretch. It was either Tom Seaver or Steve Carlton in the early 80s that you had to go back to the 60s. <coughs> I was say Earl Wynn, but that's wrong. That we had like a 22-year stretch in between 300 game winners. We've had a decade. So it's like, oh my gosh, the stretch between 300 game winners. No, we've had a little over a decade, or close to a decade since Randy Johnson got there. But we had a 20-year stretch from the 60s to the 80s where nobody won 300 games. So, but the way pitching's changed, we'll see. A little Verlander volume for you. Harp on Sports, the bar, podcast, media, audio, radio network. Make sure you share, follow, subscribe. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, at Harp on Sports. Check it out. Uh, podcast, auditory route, Buzzsprout, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Harp on Sports, the Facebook page, Harp on Sports, the YouTube channel, and of course, HarpOnSports.com, where our latest article up 
a little college World Series wonderlust. We lay out to you, baseball has two big problems. Well, baseball's got a couple problems. The ever-growing, shrinking number of African Americans playing the sport. We've got a way to fix that problem, African Americans' interest in baseball, by moving the College World Series. You can fix the African American problem in baseball with a little College World Series wonderlust, rotating it between these four major league cities to start. Check it out at harponsports.com. And remember, stay clean, stay focused, stay strong. Frankenstein, have fun with your friends.